Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. Today, I'm talking with Rich Burns, the creator of the new web series, The Disappointments. In addition to writing the series, Burns also acts as co-director, co-executive producer, and one of the four show leads. The Disappointments follows three middle-aged gay best friends trying to figure out how to live their best lives. According to the synopsis, the series looks at a pivotal issue people face as they navigate their 50s. What do you do when you realize that time is running short? The road behind you is longer than the road ahead, and your job, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your life has not turned out at all the way you had hoped and planned when you were young. Rich Burns describes the show as a darkly comic series featuring gay people in their 50s who suddenly find themselves standing in a room, looking at all their belongings, their careers, their unhappy personal lives, their reflection in the mirror, and asking, how did this get to be my life? Disillusioned, disappointed, and the clock is ticking. The web series aims to be unique by featuring gay men in their 50s dealing with the fallout from faltering careers, empty bank accounts, and generally scrambling to figure out how to set themselves up to survive in the decades yet to come. In addition to Burns, the series features Gede Watanabe, James Campbell, and Trevor LaPaglia. Steve Cubine and Burns share directing duties. The first episodes of The Disappointments premiered on YouTube on November 8th, and each Monday, Two new installments are released for a total of 11 chapters. The two-part finale will be released December 6th. But for now, sit back and enjoy my chat with the oh-so-talented Mr. Rich Burns. Randy, hello, this is Rich. How are you? Congratulations. I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Good to speak with you. First, I want to say I love web series, and my listeners and my readers know this. I have a famously short attention span, and when I discovered web series about 10 years ago, I thought this was the greatest thing to happen to entertainment because, like, sign me up. I look at a movie, a two-hour movie, and I have commitment phobia, but a web Mm -hmm. series where I tune in for 10 minutes and then I can go get another glass of wine without hitting pause, oh my God, sign me up. So... I love web series, and I absolutely adore it. I have gotten to see five episodes of The Disappointments. Congratulations. Oh, great. So much fun. I'm I'm probably your core audience as a gay man (laughs) in my 50s, and I'll talk about Uh that more in a second. But I totally related to the show, and I love the use of dark humor to address all these issues. Can you tell me what was the inspiration and in how you developed the series from the beginning? So talking about dark, it was me and a couple of friends. We were having margaritas in a restaurant called Merrick's in West Hollywood. And a friend of ours had, we were discussing how a friend of ours had just taken his own life. He'd committed suicide and he was really depressed. His job had ended. He saw no hope for the future. His career had been on sort of a downward spiral and, you know, he was 45 years old and just felt like, you know, he had these aspirations for his life, where he wanted it to go. And he was looking at it, how it was right then. And it 
just wasn't going the way he wanted it to go. You know, there were other, other things that came into play, but he, he committed suicide. And in the conversation, we brought up other people who had done the same thing, roughly the same age group um, over the past like year and a half to two years prior. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about it as if like, you know, what is this phenomenon? But we were also talking about friends who also recognized that their lives were at this point, like in their 40s or early 50s that the trajectory was not going in the direction that they wanted it to. They were not going to be able to, you know, fulfill the dream. And so they had to sort of rethink it and come up with another dream and another path. And so those friends, they went back to school, they became therapists or real estate agents or whatever, you know, second career, and they prospered. And then we also acknowledge the people that continue even though it's not coming true, it's not uh, the, the, the dream job, the, the career is not coming to its, the fruition that they had hoped for, but um, they continue to pursue it. Mm-hmm. And just the, the idea of these different phenomena of these, these people in our age group and how they were dealing with getting older as gay men, just, it was kind of fascinating. And, and, you know, I just put it in my head saying, you know, I want to write something about this someday. I didn't realize it was going to take me 15 years to get to the point where I did write that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, maybe it just, it, it just had to gestate a little bit, I guess. Um, but it, but it came from a dark place and, you know, I don't make fun of dark things necessarily, but I, I can't help but find a, some dark humor in it, you know? Well, you know, I think the use of dark humor helps exploring some of these really human issues a bit more palatable because we're laughing a, li- a little bit at it because it is funny. But it, it helps us kind of lean in without mm-hmm. going, oh, he's not taking this seriously. Um, you do take all of these right. different storylines and everything seriously, but it, it helps us stay engaged also, um, in my opinion. Right. Well, that was the, that was the hope. And, you know, it's, just, it's the kind of storytelling that I like. So I couldn't help but sort of dive in and, and share my sensibility. Now, speaking of your sensibility, you play – not only do you write and produce – the series. Uh, you are one of the stars of the series. And how much of Ray Russo is comes from Rich Burns? Because obviously you've been writing in Hollywood for years and years. You've won awards for screenwriting, yes. like at Outfest. So how much of Ray is how much of Rich is in Ray Russo? Well, a lot, a lot. I mean, there's a lot of me in it, um, but I also took great liberties, like. You know, like something may have happened and I said, well, how do I make that funny? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I? So I, it, it's, I've taken it to the extreme. Um, you know, he, he's had a less successful journey than I have had. But I've had, you know, as a writer, you go through these periods where you're doing really well. Or, you know, you may go through these periods where you're doing really well. And then there's a dry spell that can last actually a couple of years. And it's terrifying. Right. Um, and then, you know, during those couple of years, what do you do? Do you quit or do you like double down and believe in yourself or like, and so Ray and I share that sense of staying the course. I think for me, I've had more turnarounds, more, more comebacks than, um, Ray has had. And, and, you know, he, he makes a choice to, well, it's not really giving anything away cause it happens so quickly, but he makes a choice to lean on his, uh, younger fairly new boyfriend to help support him in continuing the, the dream and continuing the journey, continuing the pursuit of the career. And that's going to lead to some interesting flipped dynamics and mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, some, some uncomfortable humiliation, but seen through the lens of comedy. Like, you, you know, you can't help but groan like, oh, my God, like this is humiliating for him. But it's it's funny. Speaking of, you have so many scenes with Trevor LaPaglia, who plays your boyfriend, Dwight. I know that must have been very, very, very rough to do. Having And for my listeners, if you don't know what Trevor LaPaglia <laughs> looks like. Um, <laughs> he, he's he's not... a terribly unattractive man. <laughs> we, we, had, we had an excellent, excellent makeup artist who just... <laughs> fixed everything. No, Trevor's beautiful. Yeah, he's just beautiful. But also what's great is his character is so well written. He plays it very well because he could easily have been a stereotype and he's not. He could have been the younger, you know, hot boyfriend. There's so many things that he could have been. And you have little bits of elements of that in there, but he's not predictable. He's not at all what could have been a stereotype. No, in fact, he's, he's not, I don't think he's dumb at all. I think he's no, a he's little not. inexperienced. No. Yeah. And, right, and he's, he's just a little, um, what I love about the character is that he sees things. It's almost like he's on the spectrum. He sees things a little yeah. bit differently. Yep. You know, he does things that are maybe a little socially unacceptable, but he doesn't understand, like, where does that come from? Why is that acceptable and this is not acceptable? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't connect to the rules that we all connect to. How he chooses to utilize the bathroom sink, for instance, yes, is yes. not something that a lot of people would do, but it makes total sense to him. Oh, you and <laughs> the whole bathroom scenes, by the way, and I won't go into it, let the viewers find it, but I've been with my husband for 27 years, and one of our last nightmares is that scene that you know I'm talking about. It hasn't happened. It yeah. will never happen. And you brought, a gay, you brought a gay couple's last nightmare to life. But you do it really well without being gross. But you know what I'm talking about. I just went, I turned to my That's husband when we were idea. watching. And we went, yeah, not ever going to happen. Nope. Nope. And, and there is Dwight's yeah. uh, interesting use of the, of the bathroom sink. There is that too. Which I think some mm-hmm. more people than we would guess might have similar habits to be honest with you yeah obviously yeah. you wrote that from something you've heard so i was just gonna say you know there, there throughout this is peppered some personal experiences some some things that i have had happen to me mm-hmm. that you know it's it's just something that like the way my brain works it just gets filed away and i think like you know this is i'm not enjoying this experience but i'm going to use it the interesting thing for me with the disappointments is you stay human with it all, and those little moments help do that, I think. Thank you. Yeah, I, you know, that, that was my goal, is make it human, make it relatable, make it something that you know, people would have empathy for these characters and be interested in seeing what's happening to them. And I mean, because none of their predicaments in life or conflicts are, well, with the exception of Gary, I suppose, but mm-hmm. they're, they're much, it's, mm-hmm. it's all relatable. And that, right. was my, that was my goal. It's not like, you know, I'm super entertained by this person, but I can't imagine myself in their shoes. This right. is a. This is hopefully people will be able to, at least with one character, be able to go. Oh yeah, I completely relate to that person. Well, I could say for me, for instance, I w- I was an actor in another life, and uh, for me, as a gay man in my fifties who's now a journalist, um, I was an actor in New York City in the eighties and nineties pursuing Broadway. But mm-hmm. it always felt like I was cool. concerned with keeping up with my peers in the eighties and nineties. And right. the difference with this series, though, is I don't feel like your characters here are trying to keep up with their peers. They're trying to keep up with themselves. They're, trying, they're worried about 
their own big picture in the scheme of life, which is a different take than – that's not the take we usually see. And especially for people in their 40s and 50s, it's a real take. You know, again, this is coming from conversations I've had with people in our age group as I was developing the material. You know, even to the point where, like, you know, I I shared this with a girlfriend who lives in my hometown of uh, Stanford, Connecticut. We went to uh, grew up together, went to high school together, and I told her what I was working on. And keep in mind, you know, these are all gay characters. You know, just this concept of one day sort of stepping back and looking at your life, going, "How did I get here? How is this my life?" You know, Ray actually says that. How is this my life? So I think that and keeping it sort of grounded in reality for who the characters are and how they behave and what they do and their choices and everything. Even though the characters are gay, hopefully, you know, a wider audience will relate to it. And, and actually, the feedback I'm getting from people who are watching it and, and commenting on Instagram are uh, men, women, straight, gay, whatever they're, however they identify. So it's pretty cool. You actually finished shooting the series before the pandemic came crashing into our reality and everything. Correct. So first of all, kind of good timing, so you didn't have to like worry too much about all those kinds of protections and everything. But in the time that you finished, was it in any way a blessing to be able to get your ducks in a row to release it? Or has it just been agony to be sitting on it going, oh, I just want to get this out there. We finished it. Well, it was a combo. I mean, I'll say post-production, working with my editor, Sassy, who is amazing. When we, I, she was a total stranger to me. When we interviewed, the thing I said to her is that, you know, I really want to be able to sit down with you and look at the footage. And, uh, you know, I won't be there every day, but I want to be able to have that kind of, I'm in the room with you. We got some back and forth. And she was like, I love working that way. Absolutely. <laughs> and then three days later, LA was in lockdown. And my entire editing experience with her was done on Zoom, which worked out. As far as the pace is concerned and the amount of time, because we were like a, a micro-budget project, nobody was getting paid their daily rate if they got paid at all. As an example, she had to take a few jobs along the way, which put a pause on our forward momentum. Um, and 100%, I supported that. It's like, of course, she's got to be able to pay her rent. And you know, we're not helping her pay her rent. We might help her with a couple of magazine subscriptions at best. <laughs> um, if, if magazines are still a thing. <laughs> but then, you know, once it was done, the real, the way COVID ultimately affected us was um, the show was done, I would say in April, if not sooner. We were trying to have a premiere and that's where it killed us. And I didn't want to release it until we had a premiere. I kept holding on, holding out and then finally, you know, it's like, it's not going to happen. Ended up actually last minute having a premiere, but it wasn't the fun, splashy, couple hundred people thing we were going to go for. The last thing I wanted to ask about, because I love it, I write a lot about music, especially LGBTQ artists, because I want to make sure that mm-hmm, they get mm-hmm. out there. And two of my very, very favorite recording artists that I write a lot about, um, Rod Thomas, a.k.a. Bright Light, Bright Light, and Myla Roy. Yes. Uh, who now he's Milo oh, Roy, but nice. I think when uh, he, he he gave you some tracks, um, I think he goes under Roy uh, in the credits for your series. But you, you you make great use of music, and I appreciate greatly that they, from what I've heard so far, it, it tends to be LGBTQ artists. But the mu- use yeah. of music is terrific in the series. Well, thank you. What's really cool about so much of the show is how much came out of social media Rod and I, I don't even remember exactly how we started following each other on um, Instagram, but I didn't know Rod. But we had conversations, and then he came out here, 
And I met him and I saw him perform, um, insanely talented. Insanely. And so then I said, so he's so great. And I had a little chat with him about in the last episode, I won't give too much away, but um, Mm -hmm. Gary performs a song. And um, I asked Rod if he would like to write that song. And essentially, it's, I mean, I'll give a little bit away. It's a, I wanted him to write the worst Broadway song ever. (laughs) And um, Rod was like, I love it. And he was on it. He did it. We changed, exchanged ideas for lyrics. And he just did such a great job on it. But then I called him maybe a couple months later. And I didn't know how to say this. I was nervous about asking. But um, ultimately, what I asked was, how would you like to be our Bee Gees? To like our show, Saturday Night Fever, and you're the Bee Gees. And our soundtrack is just, you know, filled with you. And you're the sound of our show. And he was like, sign me up. I'm into it. And oh, that's then, awesome. So that came from Instagram. It, it's so good. It's so great. And, and um, Roy, Roy Halem, he, Milleroy. Mil- wait, how do you say that? Milleroy, I okay. have been taught. <laughs> Thank you. Milleroy, um, same deal. I met him through social media, asked him. I loved his music. Asked him if I could use a couple of songs. We've got two of his songs in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy, Sergio Jackson, who's currently living in, uh, I think, Madrid. He gives us a song. Um, and so just in terms of like social media and then this other artist who performs as uh, or records as Echo Finger. Shit. I think it's Echo Finger. Um, he gave us a song. And also, you know, he, he's not LGBTQ, but he's a, um, he was Instagram again. And it's this killer rock and roll song. So it was very exciting to be able to pull these guys in through social media, our fundraising with social media. It's, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the social media can be a total positive force when it wants to be. When it wants to be, uh, thank God for that, because we've seen how it cannot yeah. be, and it can be annoying sometimes. But oh, I yeah. agree with you. When uh, it can be, yeah. <laughs> but when it can be helpful and useful and do the right things, it's great to see, and it's great to see that a community can come out of that. And, mm-hmm. and you utilize that community when you when you c- come together on a project or something. So, And I like the metaphor, the analogy of uh, the, the Bee Gees, because that is how uh, Rod Thomas's music comes through. It sets a tone. The episodes that I've seen, mm-hmm. it very much feels like uh, a cohesive soundtrack almost. I mean, it really does. So I was very aware of it. I wanted to – and then as the credits are rolling, I went, I knew that was Bright Light, Bright Light. Um, so <laughs> great, great well, also, choices. I have to say, like – and by the way, he offered us his whole catalog. He said any song that he was um, the solo author on was ours, and anything we wanted that he co-authored, he would do his best to get it for us. Um, wow, so Rod's Rod a star. He, he's a superstar. Um, but also the score itself by David Frank Long is, to me, amazing as well. It's yes. like that's as much – char- it's a character in the show. It, the way David composed the score is so – just he got it it's so beautiful like he hits every emotion just he drives stuff home and i was again super talented and and really grateful for him i love in creative endeavors especially with tv and film and theater how when there are things like music that the audience we don't want the audience to go wow listen to that great use of music but when it is well Mm -hmm. done that it takes you it brings things home like you said it brings a point home or it closes out a scene or really underscores a tone or a moment I love that yeah. because we think of TV and film and theater as sometimes the spoken word itself or the performances, but there's a ton and ton and ton of technical things that happen underneath the surface that we don't want the viewers 
to really know are going on, but they Absolutely. are going on. And I love when, when it's so well done. Yeah. Yeah. David, David is fantastic at it. I mean, I have to say that like, I did not know what I was doing getting into this. Like I had never directed anything on this level. I'd never acted before. I never was, uh, this is your acting. Debut. I didn't know anything about music. Yes. Oh yeah. my goodness. It wasn't my choice. To, uh, uh, <laughs> Congratulations. I, went, I was trying to get, thank you. Thank you. Um, I was trying to get some other actors who, um, one of whom is a rec- very recognizable name and face who um, read the first two episodes and really liked the script, but he was, when it came down to it, he was doing a, um, another gay series. And um, there was another actor who uh, I really liked. He hadn't read the material, but he was, I couldn't even approach him really because he was doing a, um, shooting a gay movie during the summer of uh, 2019. And uh, there was people who read for the part and I just like, ah, it's not it, it's not it. And then at the time it was um, Jim J. Bullock was in the cast. He, for scheduling reasons, he ended up, uh, we, uh, he couldn't continue. So we had to bring in Getty Watanabe, who I freaking love. Mm-hmm. But Jim Jay and James Campbell, who plays James Caldwell, they were just like, you should just do it. It's, you know, they, they had my back on it. They were, you know, going to be supportive of me, like helping me. And my whole goal was I just didn't want to be that distraction in a scene where everyone's a great actor. And I was like, you know, the guy from uh, The Room. <laughs> you know, that. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you you're not. No, I, I would never have known that well, this was you. your acting debut at all. Out of desperation, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having time to chat, and I really appreciate it. Oh, Randy, it's my pleasure. It's been a very enjoyable experience. Thanks again to Rich for having the time to chat, and a reminder that Disappointments is available now on YouTube, releasing two new episodes each week with the two-part finale dropping on December 6th. I'll have a link in the show notes. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you'd share it with your friends. I like to think of The Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I covered the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community and its allies. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care of yourselves, and I'll see you next time.